Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen, for by it our ancestors won God's approval. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Father, as we open your word today, I thank you that you do open our eyes to the wonders of it, that you increase our faith, uh, that you stir up the gifts that are on the inside of us uh, as we seek you where you said that you would be found right here in this holy scripture. I thank you, Lord, uh, for the blessing that it is to our life. And then I think as we gather around it today, you give to each one exactly what we have need of in Jesus name. Amen. So we began last week a new series, Living by Faith, out of Hebrews 11. But if you've read Hebrews 11, it directs us to that Old Testament. And so we get to spend some time over there. When the writer of Hebrews was pinning this, he was uh, sending it to uh, the children of Israel, the Hebrews, uh, commending to them faith in Christ. Uh, That they would be accepted not because of their genetics, not because of their good works or their accomplishments, uh, but by faith in Christ. And we talked last week about how faith is needed. We read through the end of chapter 10 that we have great need of confidence in this life. We have need of endurance and that we should live by faith. It's by faith that we have life. So it is definitely needed. And we also defined it. We looked at Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the reality or the assurance of our hope, the proof of what is not yet seen. It reaches over into yeah, the, the future for us. And then that, while that definition is great, it also needs some explanation that faith is seeing the way that God sees things. Seeing the way that God sees things, it's having Christ's outlook on everything. That it's not just believing in God, but it's knowing and trusting that we can believe God. Amen. Faith is a divinely imparted ability from God to us. A divinely imparted ability for us to see, to trust, to endure with confidence, and to be truly and fully alive in Him. And today we're going to continue on. We're going to step over into verse three. We're actually going to, our main text today is going to consist of three verses, one in the New Testament and two in the Old. So just three verses, but that have huge implications for us in our lives as believers. We'll reread 11.3. It's not very long. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not Visible. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God and what is seen from that which is not seen. And so where is Hebrews 11, three pointing us? What's it referring to all the way back at the beginning? Right. So we're going to flip all the way over to the book of Genesis. Easy to find. It's almost page one. Genesis one and verse one. And so far in the front, my Bible doesn't sit right. Genesis 1 and verse 1 and 2. Because by faith we understand. 
And we have a lot of questions. Humanity has a lot of questions. Questions we've been trying to answer for a long time in ourselves, don't we? Where did I come from? Why am I here? What in the world is wrong with me and everybody else? What's the solution? These are questions that we have. In Genesis 1, I'll read it. Let's go ahead and read verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a very short verse, isn't it? In Hebrew, it's only seven words. Berashit bara Elohim et hashamayim v'et heretz. In the beginning, I practiced on that a while yesterday. <laughs> you can ask my family. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a bare statement of truth to be received, to be accepted. It answers a lot of things we find in culture today. It answers atheism because it points to, in the very beginning of the book, the existence of God. In the beginning, God created. It puts him above and over creation so that we don't worship created things. We worship the creator. Hold on. It tells us that he exists before what we think of as the beginning. And for him to be the creator, he must be infinite. And he must be omnipotent. By faith, we understand. Seven words in the Hebrew show us that God is the originator and the initiator of all creation. And then it goes on and says... Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, or the Ruach, the breath of God hovering over the surface of the waters. There's so much said in those two short verses. Those two sentences. It's the beginning of our creation story. And your creation story matters. It matters a lot. Your creation story, I saw this quote. Your creation story determines the direction of your culture. Amen. It determines the direction of your culture. Think on how much a difference it makes to understand the truth of Genesis. Just Genesis 1, verse 1 and 2. Not to mention the rest of the account. That there was, is, an eternally existent, all-powerful God who created order out of chaos. He created light out of darkness. And he created man, mankind, in his own image. 
And all of this was done in a good and ordered way with peace. Think about the difference that makes in your mindset and in your attitude and your action and your thoughts for that to be your beginning and to know that that is your beginning. When you compare it to the other stories of that time, for example, that of, say, Mesopotamia, almost all of them said that the cosmos, the universe, was created out of great violence and fighting. Usually divine violence between gods that were manipulative, that were given to sudden and unaccountable changes of mood and behavior. If you believe that the worlds were created out of violence, what kind of mindset or attitude is that going to create in you? Right? That this is how we do things. This is how things are created and done and made. Striving in violence. You compare that to the story of the day today, which is what you call naturalism. That there is no God outside of what we can see and touch and feel. All of this just kind of happened and it progressed and nature did its thing and we ended up with what we have today. Doesn't sound like a big time negative you know, thing doesn't sound like a bad story. But what you come down to with is that if there is no God and all this just happened, then we are the same as the animals. And it really doesn't matter what we do. That's the problem with naturalism is you'll just do what you want. And you look at the culture that develops when that is the story that is told. It's like, well, your own truth, because what else really matters? We came from nothing. We are nothing. Nothing matters. There is no purpose in this creation. Everything just is. So your beginning matters because it develops into your attitude and your culture. So when this has been read for thousands of years, And it was given to us by God so that we could, by faith, understand how the world was created so that it would root us in the truth and give us a framing to live our life by. It would frame and shape our attitude as we go forward in life. And in in the warning here is that unbelievers will fight this story because they don't want to accept its implications, right? If God created the heavens and the earth, who's in charge? God and not me. And if I'm an unbeliever, I don't like that. I want to be in charge, even though it's working out, you know, not quite like I wanted it to. So unbelievers fight it because they don't like its implications. I'm finding more and more that Christians fight over this because the text doesn't answer all the questions that they have about it. It's telling us who created and why and and we don't always want to stop there we want to move over into the when and the how i want to know more details about it and what we need to understand is there are things that scripture is is communicating to us in different parts and there's things that it's not communicating to us there are questions that it is answering And questions that it's not trying to answer. 
And so my encouragement to the body of Christ is we want to keep the main thing, the main thing. We want to keep the main thing, the main thing, not losing the main point, trying to get into the text and make it answer a question for us that uh, it is not trying to answer. And as I was thinking on this, uh, I was reminded of something that a Southern poet said uh, named Jeff Foxworthy. (laughs) Jeff Foxworthy said, he was talking about him and his wife, and he said, my wife has a lot more questions than I have answers. He said, for example, the other day I got a text that said, pray for Tom, he was in a bad wreck. He said, so I went from where I was to the room my wife was in and said, hey, we need to pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. And she said, well, was he driving? I said, I don't know. We need to pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. She said, well, were Carol and the kids with him? He said, I don't know. I got a text that said, pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. Well, were the people in the other car hurt? Don't know. I got a text saying, pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. Well, what hospital did they take him to? I don't know. I got a text that said, pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. Well, that, what, what do you know? Uh, you know, you don't seem to know anything. I know we need to pray for Tom. I got a text. He was in a bad wreck. You pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. So we can do that with the text of scripture, right? It is, it is telling us something and we're asking other questions. Right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, are we talking about seven literal days in the beginning? God created the heavens and the earth. What was there a gap between Genesis one and one and Genesis one two? in the beginning? God created the heavens and the earth. What about well, what about the in the beginning? I got a text that says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We want to make sure we got the main thing down. And again, we, we can study those other things. We can visit about them. We, we, we can theorize. We can talk about it. But at the end of the day, we definitely don't need to be fighting about it. And we certainly don't need to be disfellowshipping one another because we can't agree on something that's not even in there. That'd be like you saying, well, I can't I, I, I can't eat supper with them. I cannot sit down to eat supper with them. Well, why not? Well, they put Splenda in their tea. They put Splenda in their tea. Yep, they, they do that, and I drink unsweet tea. I cannot eat supper with them. Well, do they make you put Splenda in your tea? Nope, they don't. But I'm not going to eat with them because they put Splenda in there. That, those are the kind of things that will break fellowship over. And it's like, we, we can agree about everything else we're eating. We can agree about where the table is and how it should be set up. And just one little differential thing there that's not mandatory, and we won't even be able to talk to each other. So we want to keep the main thing, the main thing. And again, the main thing here in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And we have a listing here of the seven days of creation. And in the seven days of creation, remember the earth was without form and void. It was formless and empty. And in the seven days of creation, specifically the first six, we see him form 
and then we see him fill. We see him form and then we see him fill on day one. Let's look at it. We got a minute. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and he called the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning on the first day or on one day. And so you'll see some things repeated over and over in here. You'll see a command where God said, let there be. And then you'll see a report that then there was. And then you'll see an assessment that it was good. And then you'll see a dominion statement where either God called it something or he told it where to go, that he's in charge of it. And then you've got a time marker and it was morning and evening on the first day. That was day one on day Two verses for starting in verse six. Then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse. That's a little bit. And it was so God called the expanse sky. Evening came and then morning the second day. So again, the command separate the sky from the waters. And then it says, and then that happened. And that God said, his assessment, it was good. And then his dominion, he called this sky. After he separated them, then evening and morning, the second day. Day three, then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the water he called the seas. And God saw that it was good. So you have him forming the heavens, the sky, the water, and the land. The heavens, day one. The sky and the water, day two. And the land on day three. And what you'll see on day four is that he fills what he formed on day one. Put the stars in the sky, all the heavenly bodies. So he formed it here, day one, and he filled it on day four. And then what he formed on day two, remember the sky and the waters, he filled on day five with the birds and the fish. Marty came in, I was sitting out there this morning by myself, and I was going like this, and she's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm going through this. I want to make sure I can. She's like, I thought you were dancing. Anyway. So one and four formed and filled, two and five formed and filled, and then day three was what the land formed, and day six filled with the creatures and with mankind. And I just love that he, he created order out of something that wasn't orderly, and he even did it in an orderly way. All right. One, four, two, five, three, six. What he formed on those days, he filled on the next ones by faith we understand. And on day seven, we know that he rested from the work of creation. Let me read something real quick to you there. And I'm going to cover a whole lot. I mean, we're almost done. So I'm covering a whole lot and not a whole lot of time by faith we understand. 
But look at chapter 2 and verse 1. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all of his creation. That seventh day was the only one that didn't have a time marker on it. All the other ones, it was like, and there was morning and there was evening that day. That was that day. This one doesn't have an end marker on it. The rest of God is to continue throughout all of time. There's no time marker there. Again, Hebrews 11.3, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was made from that which is not seen. Our creation story determines our culture. It teaches us about Him. The creation story that we find in Genesis foreshadows and mirrors our salvation story. Our own personal experience. When we were in our sin, we were without form and we were empty. Without form and empty. Now, thankfully, our sin was not a surprise to the Creator. Remember, He's infinite. He's omnipotent. He's always been there. He is all-powerful. He had provided already a sacrifice for the sin that hadn't even yet been committed. Look at 1 Peter. You can flip there if you want to. I'll read it to you if you can't. 1 Peter 1. I'm going to get there. 1 Peter 1 and verse 18. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life. Oh, did you see that? You know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers. You were redeemed not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Again, in our sin, he says it too. We were what? Empty. I would say, I would say without form, we were at least deformed. We weren't, the shape, we weren't in the shape we should have been in. And we were empty. And he says, you were redeemed from your empty way of life that you inherited from your fathers by the lamb that was foreknown from the foundation of the world. First John would say that we love because he first loved us. When we were without form and we were empty, He made a way for us to be what 2 Corinthians calls a new creation. 
If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things have been created new. We are, just like he did in creation, being formed and filled by the creator. So that we no longer match that earlier description. He said the earth was without form and void. It was empty, formless and empty. And he formed it and then he filled it. And it was the same thing with us. And our sin, we were without form and we were empty. And through our faith in Christ, he graciously begins to form us and to fill us. The same one. The same creator. The one from the beginning loved us and gave himself for us. Berashit bara Elohim, eight hashamayim v'eight heretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was without form and void, and darkness covered the watery depths. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. And then God said, let there be light. Let there be light. We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what we see was made from things that are unseen. Remember, Hebrews 11.1. I'm in James now somehow. I got there. I don't know. Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the reality of what we hope for and the proof of what we cannot see. It is the reality of our hope and the proof of what we can't see. And it's by faith that we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. What can He create in our life? If he has the will and the desire to do it. Amen. Amen. I thought that this would be here. We are at the first of uh, the month of March and we're talking about what he has done in our life, taking us from formless and void to formed, shaped and filled. There's so much in there. I won't I won't over overload you with it, but to form and filled, I knew that it would be a good day for us to receive communion together. Amen. I want us to do it a little bit different today. Um, you know, normally we just pass it out. Everybody's at their seats. Uh, what I would like for us to do is for you to come up uh, and, and take for yourself and then you can stand up here and we'll receive together. Now there's some questions, you know, who, who can come to the table? Anyone who believes on Christ Jesus. Uh, it, it is open here. Obviously, you, you would be willing. I'm not going to compel you to if you choose not to. That's that's fine. Um, but I, while in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to come. And while you are coming, I want to read to you out of Hebrews chapter 12, which is right on the end of what we've been talking about in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, so would you come, please? And take for you and then join me up here at the front.
So you can fill in. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, therefore, this is after we've gone through the whole list in Hebrews chapter 11. Since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus who is the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That he is the source and the perfecter of our faith. It's said we're to keep our eyes on him. How can we do that? By faith. The same faith that he's the source of. The same faith that he is, the, another word there is, he's the creator of it. And the perfecter of it. When we were without form and void, with darkness covering us, he came to save us. He was a spotless lamb, the sacrifice that was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Marty and I and Kemper were talking about that this morning in what we call early service. That before the problem was there, he already had the answer. Aren't you thankful that he operates that way? Sometimes we don't even know what the problem is. We have to think of the answer after the fact. It said before the problem even existed, he had already made provision for a solution. For us to deliver us. When Jesus was at the last, what we call the last supper with his disciples. Before he would be turned over to lawless men on our behalf. It said he took some bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Yeah, go ahead. The sacrifice foreknown. And I know this is a little bit different. You know, we don't have the lights down and we don't have the, you know, the emotive music playing. I want you to be at the table and hear what he's saying. Because they didn't have that in Jerusalem either in the upper room. But he took some bread just off the table and he broke it. And he started to pass it out. And he said, this is my body. That is given for you. He knew that we needed a sacrifice. He knew that we didn't have one that was fitting. And he gave us one that we received by faith according to, to, to his grace. Because we didn't deserve it. That we could be with him for forever. So we're going to take this in just a minute. But I want you to close your eyes. And between you and him. In just a, just a few moments. Is there any, anything between you and him that you need to move out of the way? Is there anything between you and him that you need to lay down? Is there anything in your hands, according to Hebrews 12, that you need to set down so that you can pick up the bread that he's handing to you? 
Father, if we've sinned against you, forgive us of our sins. We know that you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of unrighteousness. Not because we've paid the price, but because Christ paid it for us. By faith we see. By faith we understand. And it's in faith that we repent, that we change our mind. And set our mind on better things in you. Thank you that when you took and handed them that bread, we find a similar handing to us today. This is your body that was given for us. And we receive with them together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's partake of the bread. Then he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Not the blood of animals. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Jesus, I thank you that your blood speaks a better word over us. In this life, we feel and know so intensely the feeling of guilt and condemnation. And Lord, we know the feeling of shame. I thank you that you came to provide us a new covenant paid for in your blood, not ours, but yours, because ours wouldn't have been sufficient to cleanse us, to wash us, and to make us new. That the same God that created in the beginning the heavens and the earth from formless and void to formed and filled and you called it good. I thank you that you do the same thing to us. You saw us as we were in our sin, misformed and empty. And you have made out of us a new creation by your blood. I thank you for giving us the faith to see and to understand and to partake from the same cup that you handed to your disciples around that table. In Jesus' name, let's partake of the cup together. Andrew's going to get ready to come and we'll just sing right up here about that. But let me pray over us. Father, we thank you. Thank you for inviting us to your table. To commune with you. You always meet us here. Just like you said that you would. I thank you that communion is truth that we can touch. And a handle that we can hold. To, to remember, as scripture says, to declare your dying for us until your return because it's exactly what we needed and it's the only thing that could save us. I thank you that your sacrifice has become our sustenance. That we are fed and strengthened by what you endured for us. I thank you for, again, the faith to understand. 
I thank you for our creation story. I thank you for how much it matters. I thank you for what it informs us about our attitude and our actions, that you use it to develop in our own lives a culture of life and honor and reverence for you. And I thank you that you have made us in Christ a new creature, that old things have passed away. And behold, all things are created new. That you said it, it happened. You made your assessment that it was good. You showed your dominion. And I thank you it's the same thing in our life. But you don't mark an end to it just like you didn't mark an end to that seventh day. I thank you that our salvation in you continues on for all of eternity. And God, as we get ready to go today, I thank you that you have knit knit us together in unity of the faith and that we walk together in agreement of that unity. And I thank you that as we go into this week, we do so with you in mind, that you bring these things to our remembrance and that you strengthen us by your Holy Spirit as only you can. And you empower us to be an encourager of others. And we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.